This morning, uh, I'm going to be continuing our, uh, our series called Heroes. And if you're taking notes, I'd have you please write down, no more excuses. No more excuses. We're going to go to... Uh, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. This is actually one of my favorite, like, grips of scripture. Um, it says, and, and what more can I say, because time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people, listen to this, were tortured, not accepting release, so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all of these were approved, listen, listen, through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. So they would not be made perfect without us. <laughs> you know, maybe this is something that like has been lost generationally. But I feel like I took way, like, I spent an inordinate amount of time as a child arguing with my friends about whose dad could beat up who. <laughs> like... And, and it wasn't just, in, it wasn't just in, like in their physical strength, right? Guys, this is not a joke. Until I was about 12 years old, I was absolutely convinced that my dad was a better guitar player than Jimi Hendrix. Like you could, like there was no argument that you, there was no argument you could make to me that I would be like, yeah, Jimi Hendrix is better than my dad, right? Like, and you know, honestly, the day that my dad actually told me, because see what happened was, can I tell you, Norm, what happened? What happened was I actually told my dad that one time and he started laughing at me. <laughs> and it was like this, this moment where all of my dreams and illusions were shattered because my hero, like the, the, the OG shredder was like, yeah, no, Jimi Hendrix is significantly better than me at guitar. And I'm like, oh, next you're going to tell me that gravity doesn't exist, right? Like I was convinced, right? But there was this one point where another illusion of mine was shattered, I was absolutely convinced that my dad was the strongest guy in the world. He could beat anybody up. Why would my dad beat up other dudes' dads? I don't know. But I was convinced that he could, right? And then there was one time where I was watching old, like, old highlights of WrestleMania. Does anybody ever watch like wrestling? I was watching old highlights of WrestleMania, and I watched Hollywood Hulk Hogan like suplex Andre the Giant. If you don't know who Andre the Giant is... The guy was like seven foot six and like four or five hundred pounds. He was like huge. And after watching this, I was like, I don't think my dad could do that. <laughs> and in a moment, in a moment, I realized that I had, I had like, the reason I tell you this is because in Hebrews chapter 11, here's what happens. Our heroes are like titans. They're not normal people, right? They become these things in our mind where they have like, they have like superhuman abilities. They have, they have a, you know, unapproachable moral character. They're like everything that we wish to be until we actually look at the context of their stories. Has anybody ever read stories about Abraham? 
You know, there, there's, so many, there's so many of these guys that, see, in Hebrews 11, it talks about all the good things they did. But if we don't grab the context from everywhere else that the Bible records their actual actions, we forget that Hebrews 11 is not about people. It's about the God they believed in. We tend to think our heroes are perfect. They're not just people, they're titans. They have unattainable strength, moral character, and perfect theology. Because that's the kind of person that God always uses, right? No. Here's the big idea. The only true hero in Scripture is God. The only true hero in Scripture is God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use people. It doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't give credit where credit is due. See, you know, I've heard, I've heard sermons, you know, that you're not David. And I, there are times where I've even preached that. But the truth is, is that God did use David to do mighty things. But can I tell you the truth? Without God, David would have been crushed by a giant. But have you noticed how honest the Bible is about the people recorded in it? You know what the Bible's not trying to do? The scriptures are not trying to tell you how amazing Moses was. The Bible's not trying to tell you how incredible Peter was. The Bible's not trying to tell you how wonderful Paul was. The Bible's trying to tell you that God is incredible and he uses immensely and critically flawed people to do whatever he wants to do. Can I tell you the most heroic thing that you can do? Be available. Be available to be used by God. See, these stories are not the stories of these, these, you know, these, these titans of faith that did all the right things at all the right time. More often than not, it's the story of people who did some really whacked things and they were still chosen by God. Can I tell you why sometimes we look at the stories of, like, for example, Abraham or Jephthah and we're able to understand the things that they've done and yet at the same time we don't judge them for them? It's because on this side of history, we don't actually look at the negative things. We remember all the good things and the positive things. The tough thing is, is that what ends up happening is that you tend to see yourself in the most negative light you can. And in some ways, you pre-disqualify yourself because you're like, oh man, God couldn't possibly use me because I missed three days in my yearly Bible devotional this week. Man, I just need to have more of a heart for God before God can do something for me. Guys, can I tell you the truth? Moses was out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years doing nothing. I doubt that he was reading Jesus Calling every morning. I really doubt that he had a really strong devotional life. And yet, God still showed up to him in the middle of a burning bush. What's crazy about the story of Moses? Can I, babe, can I tell you what's crazy about the story of Moses? The crazy thing about the story of Moses is he's sitting there arguing with a bush. Like on one day, what, what, I, I, come with me. Like I, he recognizes that this is God in the bush, right? He sees the most incredible thing that anyone up to this point in history has ever seen. And he had the stones to argue with him. He's sitting there, he's saying, the Lord says, I'm going to send you to my people. You're going to tell the Pharaoh to let him go. And Moses is like, it ain't me. You're arguing with God right now. Listen, can I just encourage you on something this morning? 
Whatever it is that you're arguing with God about in your life, stop it. He's going to win. He's going to get you to do what he wants you to do. It would be better for you to just go ahead and do it. You see, even in this, even in this, 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 this end, this end portion of Hebrews 11, where, 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 where the writer is just, oh, he's telling all these names. You see, every single one of these guys had one or two things they did horribly wrong. Stop arguing with God, man. The Bible tells on man so it can brag on God. And it's not to shame people. It's to show the immense grace of God on people who are critically flawed. In fact, I would almost go so far as to say this. The one great qualifier, if we were to look at what every single person that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 has in common, is they are insanely flawed, and maybe that's what qualifies them to be used by God. Stop telling yourself that you've got to be perfect before you can step into your purpose. If you're waiting on that, you're going to be waiting a really, really long time. We are really quick to disqualify ourselves for what we've done, but we forget that our qualification isn't based on what we've done. It's based on what's been done for us. See, I'm not qualified I'm not qualified because Jesus was sacrificed. Excuse me, I'm not qualified because I'm good or moral. I'm qualified because Jesus was sacrificed on my behalf and imparted to me his righteousness. See, we're taught and preached to and believe that we have a purpose and a calling and a destiny. But we are so quick to allow the enemy to strip that from us. You know how easy it is for him? I, sometimes I feel like we allow the enemy to become really, really lazy. What I mean by that is all he has to do sometimes to get us to stop believing in ourselves or stop believing in God is say, hey, remember when you... Oof. I mean, it's, you, ever, you ever seen like... You ever had a talk with a lazy car salesman? Or a lazy, like somebody over the phone that's trying to sell you something and you realize their heart's not really in it. Like they don't really want to sell you this car. You just want it so bad that they can be lazy. It's like we want, Ruth, it's like we want to be disqualified sometimes. We are, we're searching for anything that will get us out of this, just like Moses. Because Moses is sitting there like, um, sorry God in the bush, I don't speak well. He lit a bush on fire and it wasn't consumed. Why do you think you need to speak well? What about that disqualifies you? Listen, friend, I got to tell you the truth. If God called you to it, he's going to meet you in it. It's not on you. The only thing that's on you is faith. The only thing that is on you is belief that God is going to show up. <laughs> Can I tell you one of the most terrifying things in the world for me? Preaching. Like you wouldn't think it, right? Because like I do it pretty often. But the reality is, is that I recognize that without the Lord backing me up here, I'm just a guy on a stage talking. 
And every time that I preach the word, I'm like, I was just, I was like sitting right over here, standing right over here in worship, and I was like, you're going to show up, right? You're not going to leave me hanging, right? The other beautiful thing is, stepping on this stage for me is an act of faith. Because I have to believe every week that God is going to speak through me and he's going to touch you and he's going to change your life and he's going to change me in the process. Can I be quite honest with you? If he doesn't show up, I don't want to show up. Like if he doesn't change somebody, I don't want to be here. Not because I don't love you and don't love his church. It's because talking, it's really interesting. I'm an introvert to a degree. Like, my dad is, oh man, my dad is a crazed extrovert. Like, he loves people, he loves, like, you'll see him before services, he's like, he's all over the place. Most of the time when he's on the stage, like the platform for worship, somebody has to go get him so that he's on stage on time. See, for me, and, and the thing is, that, that charges him, like, he, that, that extroverts are insane, They're crazy people. See, for me, what like really charges me up is like reading a good book. Let's read a nice book today. That would be nice. It would be very very nice for me. If God's not in it, I'm not for it. Sometimes it's like, it's almost like we read the Bible, but we kind of don't read it. You know what I mean? Like we read the stories so often, we read the stories so often that it just becomes almost white noise. Like we take for granted, can I tell you, can I tell on Jephthah for a minute? Kind of an obscure story in the book of Judges. We kind of gloss over the fact that right before Jephthah went to do what God called him to do, he made an oath that God never asked him to make and never required him to keep. And the oath was, Lord, if you will make me successful, I will sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out of the house to greet me when I return. Like, what exactly was he thinking? Like, did he have a family dog? Family, like a really, really friendly, like, you know, labradoodle that was going to come out of the house? What did he think was going to happen? And so the Bible records... That Jephthah, upon returning home, his daughter came out to greet him. And then, <laughs> Sev, dude, he, he had the audacity to blame her for coming to greet him. And he was like, oh, my daughter, you have become a great burden to me. Because I made an oath to the Lord and must fulfill it. Like it was her fault that he made a dumb oath. And yet, in Hebrews 11, he's recorded as somebody who walked in faith. Now, we read through that and we're like, okay, you know, that was kind of rough. Dude, (laughs) if that happened today, he would be arrested, thrown in prison. Like, the only ministry that he'd be capable of doing would be prison ministry. Because he'd be in there. Listen, if Jephthah can be recorded in Hebrews 11, so can you. I mean, not really, because the canon's closed, but you know what I'm saying here. 
See, we read story after story after story of failed, flawed people who were qualified by God, but then were like, I'm so much worse because I overeat sometimes. And I'm so much worse because I yelled at my kids too much. And I'm so much worse because I do this or I did that or or I had that happen to me or this happened. Dude, David killed a guy and stole his wife. Like, who couldn't be qualified? See, this is the point. If God can qualify David, he can qualify anybody. David, like, I mean, sometimes we really key. We really key in on Bathsheba, right? Because it's like, it's kind of a big narrative in the story, right? David directly caused the deaths of thousands of his own people. Not just one, thousands. Because he took a census when God told him not to, and it resulted in severe judgment. And his, guys, his general Joab, who, let's be honest, was not exactly a paragon of virtue, Joab even said to him, hey, remember when God specifically told you don't take a census of fighting men? This seems like the opposite and you shouldn't do it. And he was like, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm king. The point of Hebrews 11 is not to show you unattainable titans of faith. It's to show you that nobody is disqualified if they have faith in the Lord. Listen, I'm here to tell somebody, you aren't qualified because of how you behaved. You're qualified because of whom you've believed. You aren't qualified because of how you've behaved. You're qualified because of whom you believed. In fact, I'm not even going to really get into this morning what qualifies you because I feel like I just did that. Like, I'm not going to give you like 18 different reasons why you should believe in God. I'm going to give you a few things that don't disqualify you. Can I do that this morning? And, and by, by the way, this is not an exhaustive list. I, I actually feel like this is three areas that the Lord specifically wants to hit with some people this morning, in the areas that the enemy has disqualified you for. And the first one is this, family dysfunction. Family dysfunction. Listen, we are all believing and praying for our kids, our spouses, and our extended families to repent, turn, and follow Jesus. Like, that's a big part of the Christian narrative. Like, we want our kids to walk with the Lord. Husbands want their wives to walk with the Lord. Wives want their husbands to walk with the Lord and lead the family, right? Like, we all believe this. But I got to tell you that if that's not your narrative right now, that doesn't mean you're disqualified. Listen, I know for a fact that there are parents in this room whose children are not watching the Lord, and you have allowed yourself to get sidelined because you have believed, well... Maybe I did it all wrong. Maybe I messed it all up. Listen, I got to tell you, can I, can I tell you, Proverbs is not the only book of wisdom in the Bible. You know this, right? There are actually three different books in the scripture that provide the totality of heavenly wisdom. They're the book of Job, interestingly enough, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Ecclesiastes. The reason why there are three books that, honestly, if you read Job, you, like if, without Proverbs, you have no idea what's going on. And if you read Ecclesiastes without Proverbs, you have no idea what's going on. These are three books that almost seem to contradict themselves. 
Because the book of Proverbs is all about if you do right, you'll get right. Do the right things, get the right result. The book of Job is the exact opposite of that. The book of Job is a guy that did everything right and had everything stripped away from him. I got to tell somebody in the room, there is no formula for your child or your spouse following Jesus. There isn't. There are biblical principles that can help you to create a, uh, a, a biblical home where, 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 where kids are being raised up in the knowledge of the truth. But the reality is at some point in time, your kid becomes your adult. And they still have to make the choice to follow Jesus on their own. And there are people in this room that feel like their entire purpose and calling and destiny has been put on hold because I've got to get into my prayer closet. I've got to intercede for, for my prodigal, and that's my purpose. Friend, maybe it's not. Here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you don't pray for your kids. What I am telling you is that's not what God called you to do. Does that make sense? That's part of your job as a parent. But it's not your responsibility to take that into your spirit as though it's your fault if they don't. And here's the thing. I'm fully believing that every parent that's praying for a prodigal, that kid's going to come home. But in the meantime, you've got work to do. Listen. <laughs> listen about this is, Think about the story of David for a moment. David, his actions with Bathsheba directly caused three of his children to be killed. Three of them. And yet, the Bible records that David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation, and then he fell asleep. Can I, can I encourage some parents in the room that have been feeling like you've been sidelined because your kid isn't walking with the Lord? Get up, strengthen weak knees. It's time to get back to work. God still has a purpose and a calling for you. See, I need to remind you this morning that the biblical narrative is chock full of dysfunctional families, bad fathers, bad mothers, and unrepentant children. You know, Samuel, Samuel was raised up in an environment where a father had absolutely no control over his kids. If you, if you understand the story of Samuel, Samuel was <laughs> dropped off by his mom at the temple. <laughs> it, was, it was cooler than that, but it's just like, in my mind sometimes I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like his mom literally had him and then she like dropped him off at the temple and let them raise him. Anyway, um, but his, effectively his foster father, Eli, who was the high priest, his sons were so corrupt that eventually God killed them. And Eli effectively is just as corrupt. We know what's crazy is that Samuel, when he, when he was put into the position as like head judge, right? He was the guy. The Bible records that his sons eventually became so corrupt themselves that the Israelites actually wanted to do away with the entire system of government that they had been like operating in since the days of Moses. Like, can you imagine that? Having a president or having leaders that are like literally so corrupt that we're just like, you know what we need? A king. Like, this is, this, it, was, it was antithetical, but the point of it is, is that Samuel did everything right. The Bible records that Samuel was a man of integrity who walked upright before the Lord, and his sons were still the worst. 
Listen, you can't control the outcome of your children's lives. All you can do is hope to shape them so they pick the right path. But at some point or another, that choice is theirs and not yours. Don't beat yourself up for a choice that your kids are making right now. Number two, your mental health. 1 Kings 19, 1 to 5. I want to, I want to, like, give a little context here. This is right after the biggest victory of Elijah's life. This is a moment where Elijah had, you know, he'd, he'd called all of Israel to a solemn assembly on Mount Carmel. He had seen God literally drop fire from heaven to prove that he was God. He had executed hundreds of false prophets. And then, just a few verses later, this is what the Bible records. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, I'm going to stop briefly right here because here's what you would think. You'd think that a guy who just called on God to drop fire from heaven would have enough faith to realize that the same soldiers that, that, that Jezebel would have sent after him to kill him are the same ones that just saw what they saw. Like, this is one of the most impotent threats in the history of all threats. This woman had absolutely no realistic possibility of killing Elijah. And what it says is this, then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there and he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. So he comes off this literal crazy mountain experience and becomes depressed and suicidal. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room who's struggling with mental illness, you're not broken, you're just sick. And sicknesses that come also can go. But in the meantime, I want to encourage you, God's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He's not angry at you. I want you to know that being sick doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't steal your purpose. It won't take your destiny. If it came, it can go. Can I tell just a little story, Ruth? I'm so proud of my sister, Ruth. You know, she's, she's told her testimony a, a couple of times in the house, so I won't belabor the point, but how many years was it, Ruth? 12. I, th I thought I just wanted to make sure I didn't say like 25 or something like that. <laughs> 1,800 years. <laughs> you know, Ruth, um, Ruth has had dealt with clinical depression for more than a decade. It was about 12 years. And the cool thing was, is I got to be there the night that she, that the Lord healed her. 
we were actually in a conference. It was actually, it was in a time of worship. Nobody was actually praying for it. It's just like she was worshiping and the Lord just took it. But the thing is, is that before the Lord took it, I got to see how she dealt with it. I got to see how she still worshiped and honored the Lord despite what she was dealing with. I got to see years where even though she could have allowed it to sideline her and take her out, I saw years of faithfulness from Ruth. The reason I tell you that is because I want you to know it is possible to be faithful even when you're sick. And I firmly believe I firmly believe that for many of you, the healing is going to come through the faithfulness. You're not broken. You're just sick. And listen, the sacrifice of praise and trust that you give in the midst of pain is a pure offering. Can I tell you? Can I tell you that that praise that comes from a place of pain is literally the only thing that you'll be able to give God on this side of heaven that you can't give to him on the other side? I won't be able to give him an offering of praise from a place of pain when there is no pain. I'll never be able to worship God in the midst of my sorrow when there's no sorrow. I'll never be able to give him that one gift that I can only give him here. And I want to encourage you. Faithfulness is going to lead to your healing. I believe it. Number three. Moments of unbelief. Moments of unbelief. You know, Hebrews 11 talks, it, it, it talks actually in great length about Abraham. You know, he's, obviously he was an incredible man of faith, but even he had moments where he wasn't sure that God was going to come through. And if you want to know what not to do, when you're parenting or you want to know what not to do when you're thinking about your spouse and how you should treat them, you should probably go to the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys, I'll be quite honest. And maybe, here's the thing. I, I could be absolutely looking at this through the lens of the new, like the new covenant and all that. These guys, by and large, they were terrible dads. They were pretty bad husbands. Um, Abraham, Abraham twice allowed his wife to go into the house and bed of another man because he was afraid that he might get killed. You know what's really interesting about this? You know how we talked a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I think it was Pastor um, Bob McGregor. I think it was, maybe it was more than a couple of weeks ago. Sorry. Time runs together as you get older. You know what I'm talking about. A few weeks back, Pastor Bob McGregor was talking about a thing called catastrophizing, right? Where you take this idea and you run all, like you, you basically take it to its absolute possible worst, like worst place. Abraham didn't actually get threatened. This is the crazy thing. Abraham didn't actually have somebody come and threaten to kill him because of his wife. He thought about the possibility and then was like, this is going to happen. Might as well just send her there. No, okay. <laughs> You're not going to want to take advice about how to treat your spouse from old Abe, okay? Like, this is not the guy that you want to emulate. But can I tell you... <laughs> Can I tell you what's awesome about the stories that are shared about Abraham in Hebrews 11? In Hebrews 11, none of the times that, that, that Abraham didn't believe God are recorded. All that's recorded is the moments that he did. Listen, I need somebody in the room 
who's gone through some things and, and, and you've, had, you've had a hard time believing God for breakthrough, you've had a hard time believing God for healing or, or whatever it is, I gotta tell you, you are not remembered in heaven by what you didn't believe, you're remembered in heaven for what you did. Listen, every single person in the hall of faith had critical and sometimes fatal flaws Listen, Noah was a drunk. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was an idolater. Jacob literally stole his brother's inheritance. (laughs) David murdered a guy and stole his wife, and he also directly caused the deaths of thousands of his people. See, and the truth is that for many of us, if we'd have been writing Hebrews chapter 11, it would have looked a lot different. Because we would have probably contextualized a little bit and said, you know, David was an okay guy. He did a lot of bad stuff, but at least he believed God. Abraham was an okay guy. He did some weird, awkward stuff, but you know, like, you know ultimately he believed God. That's what Hebrews 11, that's what Hebrews 11 would, would record if I was writing it. But the truth is, is thank God I wasn't writing it. God was writing it. And the story that God wrote is significantly different than the one that I'm writing or that you're writing. Listen, listen, listen. What I'm telling you is this. God sees you a lot differently than you see you. God knows you a lot more intimately than you know you. And what God remembers isn't the times that you've messed up. It's the times you have believed him. What you are accredited for is not the times you didn't believe. You are credited for the moments you did. You're not credited for the things you didn't do. You're credited for the things you've done. And you're not credited for the bad things that you've done. You're, you're credited for the moments that you have. You said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Listen, I don't care what you've done. And actually, neither does God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I can, if I can remember... You can remind yourself that it's not all on you, that it's not all about you. And the most heroic thing that you can do is be available. Then God can do tremendous things through you. But listen, you've got to stop agreeing with the enemy who's got you locked into a cycle of your thoughts that runs the laundry list of your sins, your flaws, your hurts, and your hangups to such a degree that you disqualify yourself for what God qualified you for in his own blood. Listen, I'm probably carbon dating myself right now, but when I was growing up, there was a, there was a particular, uh, I'm going to call him a singer, recording artist. Anyway, his name was Carmen. And like, you know what's really funny is, I actually was thinking about like showing the clip that I'm going to kind of talk about, but when I saw it, I was like, it's just the corniest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I tell you, at the time, that was fire. I was just, I remember, I remember watching these Carmen videos back in the day being like, this guy's amazing. This guy got it. Anyway. <laughs> He's got, this, he's got this song called Revival in the Land. And it starts, it starts like with this, this dialogue between Satan and one of his like little minion guys. At one point in the conversation, Satan says, I'll remind the saints of their past that they were liars, cheaters, manipulators, and moochers. And his minion replies, sir, that won't work either. If you remind them of their past, they'll remind you of your future. 
Listen, when he comes in like a flood, when he forms weapons against you, when he, when he runs the highlight reel of your failures and your flaws, when he, when he lies and slanders and breathes threats against you, remind him that you're chosen, that you're blood-bought, that you're redeemed, that you're set free, that you're accepted, that you're loved, that you're forgiven, and that you're empowered. Tell him you're not running from him anymore and remind him that he might be in your head, but his permanent residence is under your feet. You have my personal permission to remind him that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and he's going to hell. I know, I just said the H word in church. Can I, can I read this for you? Why don't you jump up on your feet this morning? Let, let, me, let me read this for you. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Listen, I gotta tell somebody in the room, when he sat down, he also seated you with him in heavenly places. I gotta tell somebody, right now there is a version of you outside of time that is looking at you right now you are already there and i gotta tell somebody else in the room god doesn't just love you for what you're going to be 10 years from now when all these problems that you have and issues that you have are fixed god loves you right now for you just as you are and at the same time, if you will keep your eyes on him, if you will keep your gaze fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, he's going to take you not from breakdown to breakdown to breakdown, but from glory to glory to glory. You are in the process of progress. And this morning, the, the reminder that I have for you today, the reminder I have for you today, you are not the person you think you are in your mind. You are not the person you think you are in your mind. See, some of us are like, in my heart, I feel this way. Or in my heart, I feel this way. Can I tell you what the Bible says about your heart? It says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Don't trust yourself. Trust him. Don't trust yourself. Trust him. Because what he says about you is that you are accepted, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're blood-bought, you're healed, you're brought in, you're given an inheritance, and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you can grab hold of that, if you can grab hold of that, God can do tremendous things in your life. I want to leave you with this. I said it kind of like offhandedly earlier in the message, but I want to tell you this. You do not have to be perfect to walk in your purpose. If you're waiting on that, you're going to be waiting a real long time. So can I encourage you this morning? Stop waiting to be a better version of yourself. If God is calling you to it, can I, maybe I'll say it this way. God, is, is there anyone in the room this morning that believes that you know yourself better than God does? Good. I'm glad that we're all like appropriately aware of like our inability to know everything that's going on inside of us, right? If God is calling you to it, 
that means the Lord trusts you with it. Even if you don't trust yourself. Moses didn't trust himself. God trusted Moses. See, Abraham didn't trust himself, but God trusted Abraham. The vast majority of these men and women that we read about in Hebrews 11, they did not trust themselves. But what they did do was they decided to trust God. So here's what we're gonna do all over this place. If you're here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe this is a, uh, maybe, maybe you've walked away from him and you made, this is your first time at church in a long time, or, or maybe you've been coming and you've been coming and coming and you haven't yet surrendered your life to the Lord. Can I, can I ask you, are you ready to trust Jesus this morning? Are you ready to trust something beyond yourself to get you where God actually wants you to be? Are you ready to surrender your life? Are you tired yet? Are you worn out yet? You know, in the message translation, I, I love this particular, uh, this particular passage. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you beat? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me and I will give you rest. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, and today's the day to trust the Lord. Can you raise your hand? I want to pray with you, David. If that's you, anywhere, anywhere in the room, is there anybody this morning that's like, I need to come back to the Lord or I need to trust the Lord for the first time with my life? Anybody in this place? Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you today that we don't have to trust ourselves. I thank you today. I thank you that when we trust you, you help us to do the work. God, when we trust you, you take our mundane and turn it into the miraculous. God, that when we trust you and we put, put our faith not in our ability, not in, not in our giftings, not in our person, but we put our faith in you and we cast it onto you and we say, Jesus, I don't know why you're calling me to this, but I'm trusting that if you're calling me to it, you're going to meet me in it. Now this morning we determine to trust you. Thank you, Lord God. We love you. It's in your name we pray.